We're going to continue our Life of Christ survey this morning. But while you're turning to John, the Gospel of John 135, a couple of announcements of upcoming activities you guys already know. Uh, it's one of my favorite events of the year is the Super Summer Children's Program in the auditorium. Kids say the darndest things, as Linkletter said. And uh, Krista, I'll say this again, but uh, Krista always hits it out of the ballpark on Super Summer. But she hit it way out of the ballpark uh, today, or this past year, summer. Uh, this Wednesday, based on the book by the author, we're going to have the author describe the process of seeking Allah and finding Jesus, and we're going to have a survey of Islam uh, starting this Wednesday night. Rather than starting with prayer in here with the adults and finishing with Bible study, we're going to start with the DVD content at 7.05. It goes about 22 minutes, and we'll have a little discussion. And so we'll go to the prayer share part as the second aspect of Wednesday nights during this series. Okay, So be advised of that. And then after interacting with five different Christian tour companies, the company I've always used before kind of let us down. Uh, I'm proud, as you hopefully got an email. If you don't get the email with the bulletin and the study notes on Thursdays or Fridays, I just don't have your address or I have it wrong. So please correct me on that. But uh, you should have gotten uh, attached to the bulletin and the study notes some basic information. But we do have specific dates now, and Lord willing, um, May 13th, which is a Monday through May 22nd, we'll have our tour uh, to Israel and we'll go to all the major biblical sites. And for more information, uh, talk to me or I'll send you some and um, we'll go from there. But we're looking at the life of Christ A through Z. We've got the 26 major events in the life of Christ organized based on the English alphabet. And we're going to come to Chapter four, although uh, chapter four, chapter uh, or number letter F, chapter four, uh, this morning. But uh, we'll uh, review some of the stuff we've seen, so we'll, we won't leave you in the lurch there. But let's pray for our teachability to this passage in John about the first, the first five followers of Christ. We'll show you an easy way to remember those names. But let's pray for our military and our peace officers and our firefighters as well as we pray for the teachability. Dynamic and Anthony, would you pray for us in that direction? Thank you, Anthony. Let me do one thing here, real quick. Boom. Um, you know, I like to warm up our capacity for abstract thought before we do our Bible study, usually with some kind of crazy joke. But uh, today's a, a more practical abstract thought warmer upper because it underscores the importance of interpreting the Bible and other people based on the way they. Use words. We won't be able to go into detail about this aspect today, but we will in the next few weeks. The synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they have the same basic outline, the same basic synopsis. They're called the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke tend to use the term disciple, follower, differently than does the gospel of John. And once you see that, it's undeniable. And once you see that, you will not make the kind of mistake that Pastor B makes in, uh, not recognizing the importance of interpreting the Bible and other people based on how they use words. This is a hypothetical thing. It never actually happened. What's wrong, Jim Bob, as Pastor B? I need you to pray for my hearing, said Jim Bob. So Pastor B, as he often does, prays right on the spot, uh, put his hand on Jim Bob's shoulder, and he prayed. When the prayer was finished, Pastor B looked up and asked, So, Jim Bob, how's your hearing? I don't know, said Jim Bob with a frown. 
It isn't until next Thursday. <laughs> you see the importance of interpreting the Bible and others based on how they use their words? Because Jim Bob is talking about a legal proceeding, and the pastor thinks he's talking about processing sound, right? So that's very important, and we stress that a lot around here. And you're welcome. It's important. Uh, Life of Christ, A through Z, summarizes the synoptic gospels and the gospel of John. Uh, the synoptic gospels have the same synopsis, the same basic outline. Uh, events around the birth, great Galilean ministry, last trip to Jerusalem, death, resurrection, ascension. Gospel of John organizes the life of Christ differently around four Passovers, which sums up three years. And they don't contradict, they clearly complement each other, but sometimes they use terms differently or have different emphases. And we'll try to show you that as we go through the life of Christ A through Z. So we're summarizing the four biblical gospels, and we're using this system with a focus on uh, today, uh, F. And uh, boom, yeah, that's that. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to first look at the broad context of first followers, the F, as we kind of review the life of Christ A through Z thus far. Then we'll look at the immediate context of first followers because, hey, Lindley, in Gospel of John 119 through the end of the chapter, you have four consecutive days in the life of Christ. We're going to focus on the third and fourth day where the first followers are attracted to Christ, but we'll talk about the first and second day. Because Sharon always wants to know the whole, there's a technical term in Bible study, it's called the whole enchilada. She likes to have the whole enchilada, so we're going to go over the whole enchilada before we look at uh, that F. But let's put this on a map. I, I love maps, and once you go to Israel once, you're going to find out there's nothing flat in Israel unless you're right on the coastline, and these maps don't tend to show that very well. But let's walk through the life of Christ A through Z. What A stand for? And that's A prime. Angelic announcement, the first one about the supernormal conception of Elizabeth, because she's too old to get pregnant, and but she's going to get pregnant the old-fashioned way uh, by her husband, Zacharias, and they're going to have a little boy by the name of John. And most people call him John the Baptist, but we don't do that. We call him John the Baptizing Jewish Prophet, because Jason, John the Baptist, wasn't a Baptist. He was Jewish. Okay. Now, A stands for two things, the angelic announcement to uh, Zacharias about his future son John the Baptist and an announcement not in, in and around Jerusalem but in Nazareth to a young probably an older teenage girl who's engaged to be married who finds out she's going to become pregnant not super normally but supernaturally like you can't do this in the laboratory and it's the virgin conception three, nine months later virgin birth and she's engaged to a guy and they were very strict about having no contact before they did it the old-fashioned way, the right way, right? Uh, and her first thought, I'm sure, is, what am I going to tell Joseph? I, I, and I believe in miracles, but it doesn't happen often. So we walk through that. So what does A stand for? Angelic announcements about the supernormal pregnancy, John the Baptist, supernatural pregnancy of Jesus Christ. What does B stand for? Birth in Bethlehem. Now notice, Mary and Joseph live in Nazareth to the north in Galilee, but the birth takes place in Judea, the region, the city, Bethlehem. And nothing really important had happened in Bethlehem, much smaller than Duncan for a thousand years since the birth of David, King David. But Micah, an Old Testament prophet in 700 B.C., predicted the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem of Judea. And God worked that out providentially, didn't he, through a tax census. What does letter C stand for? Carpentry career. The Greek text says Jesus was a tecton. 
the son of a tecton, his legal father, uh, a skilled worker in wood or stone. And we've shown you some of the mosaics. Nicole, you and I agree that that uh, Mona Lisa of Galilee mosaic, which was done two miles north of Nazareth during the working career of Jesus, there's no doubt Jesus did that. Or somebody really, really good did that. But uh, we'll find out in heaven. But Jesus worked with his hands from age 12 as a... Uh, apprentice to about 30, as Luke says. So 18 years working with wood or stone. Ben makes birdhouses and stuff like that. And it's, there's, it's ther- there's this therapy in that, and there's a lot of joy in creating something out of nothing, raw materials, and making a beautiful thing out of it. And uh, there's something built into us to want to do something, to make a contribution to something, and to build something that wasn't there. And we're, we're, it's kind of built into us. And I wouldn't have designed the life of the Messiah this way, but God thought it was a good idea for Jesus to have six more, six times more of his years working on floors and buildings than preaching. See, God, God works differently than we do. D and E last week. D stands for Dove Descends at the Duncan, the baptism of Jesus, where Jesus was declared righteous by the voice of God the Father, followed by E, where in his temptations, Jesus demonstrated his perfect righteousness. And now we come to F, and we're going to find out that F, the first followers, are attracted to Jesus after his baptism temptation, and he goes back to where John the Baptist is doing his thing for a couple of days before he goes to Galilee. And next week we'll see Jesus doing his first miracle at a wedding reception to keep the party going. And there were rumors they may have the bride and groom may have been dancing. So don't tell John the Baptist because they're not supposed to do stuff like that. It's where and it's where and how, you know. <laughs> okay, Anthony, you know, you ask Anthony to do something, he does a, a way over and above what I could conceive of, but ask him to give us a, a hard copy visual aid here. So let's uh, review the, the letters so far. That's an e, A. What does A stand for in the life cross A through Z? Two two letters or two words. Angels announce, and we got two bursts. We're talking about right. B stands for what? Yeah, Bethlehem means house of bread. Micah said 700 years before uh, Amber that the Messiah had to be born in that particular city, right? And it happened right on schedule, right? C stands for what? Since some of you don't know the alphabet, I feel like I need to walk you. <laughs> right? Uh, what does C stand for again? Oh, yeah. Carpenter career. Uh, tecton. Jesus is working from age 12 to age 30. Uh, you know, I pray for Dale a lot. Uh, for many reasons, but uh, I th- he works hard outside, like seven days a week, okay? And, you know, I, every time it gets to be like 112, I'm thinking, Dale's out there working today. Or for me, worse, when it's like nine degrees and the chill factor is negative five, he's out there making oil wells work. So you know, G- he works hard. He's a lot like Jesus. He works hard in the real world. So you don't have to be a preacher, a missionary, a song leader, a youth minister, to be in the ministry. Everybody, every Christian has a ministry. You just have to kind of let your light shine. I think somebody said that once, right? What does D stand for? Yeah, that's his baptism. At the baptism, the righteousness of Christ was declared by God the Father. So what did Jesus do from 12 to 30, the silent period? He didn't go to India and become a Buddhist. I know that, right? He worked with his hands for 18 years, and he never said one cuss word if he hit his thumb with a hammer, which I don't think he probably ever did. Just so you'll know. Uh, e, right after 
The righteousness is declared by God the Father, which is a really good source. Jesus goes and demonstrates his righteousness. The last Adam is in a wilderness as opposed to the first guy who's in the garden and all, all the different contrasts. And then today we're going to look at what? First followers. And if you can remember the country, uh, bank, can you, can you remember the word Bangladesh? Because if you can remember the word, no, not Bangladesh. Japan. That's a joke. Japan. These first five followers are John, Andrew, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel. You've probably heard of them before. But let's go from the broad context in the life of Christ A through Z to the immediate context. I said that when you get to John, you're looking at John 135. But if you go back to verse 19 of John, you're starting with a, uh, a section of this, uh, gospel. 119 to the end of the chapter that gives you four consecutive days, and we'll focus on the third and the fourth day when the first followers are actually doing their thing. But let's look at this uh, immediate context in John, and we'll just read through that and make some comments, okay? So look at uh, verses 19 through 28. John the baptizing Jewish prophet, better known as John the Baptist, is interrogated by Jewish leaders. Verse 19, I'm reading, reading from the New American Standard Bible. This is the testimony of John, you know, John the Baptist, John the baptizing Jewish prophet. When the Jews, John is a Jew, the author of this book. He's not anti-Semitic. He loves Jewish people. He even loves Gentiles. When he talks about the Jews in negative ways, he's not talking about Jews ethnically. He's talking about the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, the people that run the corrupt religious system. As we'll see uh, in verse 22, uh, then they said to him, John the Baptist, tell us who you're claiming to be so we may give an answer to those, the Sanhedrin back in Jerusalem, who want us to find out who you claim to be so we can use it against you. But this is the testimony of John when the Jewish leaders, a delegation from the Sanhedrin, including Sadducees and Pharisees in the Sanhedrin, they send mainly Pharisees in this group, and they're not looking to find out so they can respond. They're looking for a way to cover up and explain him away. Sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? <laughs> what are you doing? I mean, you look a lot like Elijah. And we all know somebody in the spirit of Elijah is supposed to show up for the Messiah. You're not actually claiming to be that person, are you? Because we're going to have to come up with a way to explain that away because that doesn't fit our theology, right? Or our system. We're making a lot of money in the religion business. Can you believe somebody would go in the religion business to make a lot of money? Now, my plan 37 years ago when I went to Shreveport was uh, I never had a desire to become rich or famous, and so far it's working. But he confessed and did not deny, I'm not the Christ. If you think I'm claiming the Messiah, you're, you're, you're wrong. Don't, don't. That's the worst mistake you can make. Then they said, who are you then, Elijah? They're taking Malachi 4, 5 literally when actually it was not literal. It would be somebody like Elijah. And he said, no, I'm not Elijah reincarnated. John the Baptist didn't believe in reincarnation, neither do I. Are you the prophet? And what does that mean? The. Deuteronomy 18.15, Moses said there's going to be a prophet much greater than me. He's talking about the Messiah. Are you the prophetic voice of the Messiah that Deuteronomy, Moses, anticipated? Nope, I'm not him. I'm not the Messiah. Then they said to him, who are you? Because we've got to fill out paperwork for the Sanhedrin that sent us to come up with what you're saying so we can explain you away. Uh, so we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he quotes from Isaiah 40, verse 3. Malachi and Isaiah both prophesy in the Old Testament about John the Baptist. And he says, and he quotes uh, Isaiah 4, which is also about 700 B.C., a prophecy. I'm just the voice of one crying in the wilderness. 
Make ready to receive the Lord. Make straight the way of the Lord. The Messiah is on the ground. Be ready to respond to him, uh, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now, they who had been sent from the Jewish leaders were Pharisees. They were super picky type of uh, uh, cootie theory, spirituality types. And uh, that's why I don't like those types myself. Uh, they asked him and said, then why are you baptizing? We don't baptize Jewish adults in our system, right, uh, routinely. If you're not the Christ... You're not the Elijah fulfillment of Micah 4, a literal return of Elijah, nor are you the prophet, uh, messianic prophet of Deuteronomy uh, uh, that Moses talked about. And John answered, I baptize in water. It's just a ritual. It's, it's just tangible. But among you stands on the ground one who you do not know. It's he who comes after me. He's the one I'm the forerunner, the preparer for, as the Old Testament Isaiah Malachi said. Uh, and I'm not even worthy to take his shoes off. I'm not worried to put his uh, uniform on. Okay. Now, me and Lindley are in negotiations for me to get one of Phil's old baseball jerseys. And I'm not one of those guys that like wear it. I always thought when 65-year-old guys are wearing like Tom Brady jerseys or Phil Klein jerseys, I mean, what, what's wrong with them? But if we ever, I mean, really? But, uh, you know, I, I don't get to play a lot of pick up baseball anymore, but somewhere along the line, I'll get to play a little softball or baseball somewhere just for for grins, and I'll, that's when I'll wear it, but I'll enjoy it. You will autograph it, right? No, Lindley, I mean. <laughs> yeah, both of you. I uh, feel you on the back. I went on the front. And can I get a, can I get an 8 by 10 glossy, Lindley, Tim? That'd be nice. Well, I set him up on that one, didn't I? That was great, man. Uh, I'm just doing a ritual here. And I, I'm, I can't even, you know, uh, be this guy's slave. He's, he's superlative to me. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan on the Jordanian side of the river, as we'd say today, where John was baptizing. Not very far from Jerusalem. So this was an easy day trip for them to do this thing. Now look at verse 29. The next day. So verses 19 through 28, Mike, were one day. Starting verse 29, we got the next day. This is the second day of a four day sequence. The next day, he, Who's he? John the Baptist. John the Baptizing Jewish prophet. Saw Jesus coming to him. Now what do we know has happened before F? Say D and E. What happened at D? Dove descend when Jesus was baptized by whom? John the Baptizing Jewish prophet. And then Jesus went away from John the Baptizing Jewish prophet into the wilderness, the Judean wilderness for 40 days and then was tempted by Satan. So this is a couple months later. This is the first time that he's seen him since the baptism. And look at the first thing John says as soon as he sees Jesus. Uh, the next day, he saw Jesus coming there, just walking to him there in Bethany beyond the Jordan. And he says, and he's always got a crowd around him, Behold, that's the Lamb of God. That's the Messiah who takes away the sin of the world. You've got to love this. Uh, we've got an ancient photograph of this. It's a little grainy. And they, they looked like, you know, Legos back then. It was, it was weird, you know. Uh, we've developed a lot. But yeah, you know, you guys, many of you know, the Old Testament uh, is spirituality with training wheels. It anticipates the first coming of Christ. It's partial, preliminary, and it points to Christ. And it teaches us that there's going to be one Messiah with two different functions and two different aspects. And the first function is to be the Lamb. And the second function will be to be what? The lion, right? The first function is to be a suffering sacrifice on the cross. 
where he pays for the entire sin debt of the world. The last thing he says, and John emphasizes this, is it is finished. Three words in English, one word in the Greek text, tetelestai, mean paid in full, mission accomplished, right? And then at the second advent, he'll be the lamb. And John is saying, that's him. That's the Messiah. He's going to take care of the sin problem and ultimately rule the whole world. And that's the gospel, folks. The gospel is not, if you'll tithe to our church for a year, and by the way, we're going to put that money in an interest-bearing account, some kind of CD, um, because after a year, if you don't have more money than you had before, if God doesn't bless you for tithing unbiblically to our church, and it's a gimmick, but people love it, uh, then we'll give you your money back, but we'll keep the interest, you know, and that'll prove you're really saved and stuff like that. And salvation is the work of God. It's something that God did for us in Christ. Uh, God made him who knew no sin to be a sin offering for us on the cross. And uh, through faith in him alone, we are made righteous in him. It's called the doctrine of imputation. Our sins imputed to Christ and judged his righteousness imputed to us when we believe we get our debt forgiven and his righteous standing given to us. And you're not going to find that in any other world religion. Trust me, I've done some research on that. Okay, let's focus on the main thing, the actual content of FF, first followers, in John 135-51. Um, let, let me finish that. The rest of those verses, by the way, is too good to miss. Look at verse 30. Uh, again, John hasn't seen him for a couple of months, but he, the last time he saw him, he baptized him and, and saw the Spirit like a dove and heard the voice of God the Father. He said, this is he who I said, after me comes a man with a higher rank than me. He existed before me. He's preexistent. He's the eternal second person of Trinity. But I did not know him. That means to know through experience. How did John know for sure through experience that Jesus was Messiah? The dove descends and the voice testifies. He's talking about the baptism as confirming uh, that. But so that he might be manifest to Israel, came baptizing water. And John testifies saying, I've seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, remain upon him and the voice of God the Father. And I did not know him through experience until then, but I've seen it and I know he's the Messiah, no doubt about it, because the same voice that called John initially, the voice of God, uh, told him, upon the one you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon, that's the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. That's the Messiah. And I myself have seen and testified, this is the Son of God. Now we're going to see the term Son of God, Son of Man, Lamb of God. So which one is he? Is he the Son of God, the Lamb of God, or the Son of Man? He's all of them, right? Those titles have different emphases, but they're looking at the different facets of the perfection of Christ. Okay, let's look at the actual content. Look at verse 35. This is day three in the sequence. The sequence started in verse 19. Verse 29, the next day, that's the second day. Verse 35, again the next day after that. This is the third day. John, John the baptizing Jewish prophet, was standing with two of his disciples. Okay, John uses the term disciple very elastically, uh, and uh, we'll show you that as we go through this later. And he looked at Jesus as Jesus walks along the, that afternoon, and he says, there's the Lamb of God. Yeah, you, you, John and Andrew, you weren't here yesterday when I saw him and said that's the Lamb of God, but that's the one I was talking about. The buzz is all John's disciples are excited about the fact that the Messiah has actually been interacting with their leader who they have gone to so he could point them to, to the Messiah. And the two disciples of John, the word disciple, mathetes in the Greek, just means a student. That's all it means. 
can you put it in context? And it can, it's a polymorphic word. It can, has all kinds of sense. Uh, like the word know. I can say I know Donald Trump because I know who he is. But I could say I know David Bearden and I know him much more personally than I know Donald Trump. Or I could say I know uh, Debbie McCoy and I know her much more personally than I know David Bearden. So those words can, you know, kind of, can uh, be very elastic. You gotta put them in context. Uh, so the two disciples that heard him speak, they physically walked after Jesus. He's just walking along, uh, and, you know, we can't see the facial expressions here, but I think there's a lot of smiling and laughing. And I think we tend to very sanctimoniously strain that out of the text in the Gospels, okay? But trust me, okay? Anthony, there's a lot of smiling and laughing, especially in places like this. Watch this. I think Jesus turned around with a big smile on his face because he knows exactly why they're walking after him. They've been waiting for the Messiah. They went to John because they thought they could, he could point him to the Messiah, and he just flat has done it. He hit, he, they hit the jackpot today. And uh, Jesus turned and, and saw them following these two disciples of John, now the disciples of him, and said, what do you seek? Uh, like, what's up, guys? What's going on? It's kind of like that kind of thing with a big smile on his face. And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher. Now, why is John putting a parenthesis, Rabbi kind of means teacher, because he's expecting mainly Gentiles to read this. Jews are certainly welcome to read the Gospel of John, just like Gentiles are invited to write, read the Gospel of Matthew. But you write to your original audience, right? And, and that's why you got that. Where are you staying? Uh, where's your camp? Now, Debbie and I are so old, you know, when we really get crazy and we want to do something really wild and just nutty and just, you know, you almost are embarrassed to talk, talk about it. Uh, we, walk, we we turn on TV and we watch these reruns of the Lone Ranger. I mean, the back. This isn't like the Johnny Depp Lone Ranger. This is uh, Clayton Moore and Jay Silverheels uh, and uh, you know Tonto, bless his heart. I mean, every episode uh, they they ride up to this place and Lone Ranger says, "Tonto, I'll make camp here. You go into town with those." anti-Indian white people that are going to beat you up. You go into town and find out what's happening, okay? And Tonto always goes, he has two words. He says this, you wouldn't have him say this now, me go. He says he said that for 18 years in that series. He never learned English, you know, me go. Yeah, that's it. And, you know, to me, after about two years of that, I'd say, I'm not going into town, white man. You go into town. You know, take that mask off. Nobody knows who you are. What's the deal? But anyway, I see stuff like this happening, you know. Is that, where are you staying? Where are you camping out? He's not staying in the, uh, uh, MGM Grand here. We're in the middle of nowhere. You realize that, right? He's in the world. So they came and saw his camp, you know. <laughs> He's about to leave town the next day anyway, go back to the alley. And they stayed with him and it's about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak, that's the Lamb of God, one of these two disciples that followed Jesus now, was Andrew, Peter's brother. Now we're not told who the other one is. But I would put my money on John the Apostle because he tends to refer to himself in the third person but never mentions himself by name. He never got the art of self-promotion, which seems to be such an important thing in modern ministry. But <laughs> John never got that, you know, but he never really did it, amounted to very much, did he? So uh, I say that tongue-in-cheek because he's my favorite except for Jesus. Now watch this. Andrew, who's named, and John's too embarrassed, uh, not too shy to tell you his name here. He just goes on. Uh, Andrew, after this interaction, multi-hour interaction with Jesus, which obviously convinced them who he was, who John had said they were, he was, uh, found, first thing he did was find his brother Simon. Now these guys are fishermen from Galilee, 100 miles away, 
But they've taken a two-week vacation to listen to John's preaching because they know and they believe this is the Old Testament prophesied forerunner of the Messiah, and they want to see the Messiah. And they're hoping through John they'll find him, and they have. So first thing he does is find his brother Simon. That's Peter's real name, is Simon. Peter's just a nickname. And they said to him, and, and Andrew said to him, his brother, We have found the Messiah, which translated means the Christ. Christ, Messiah is a Jewish word, Mashiach, it means the anointed one, uh, the one that God appoints for a specific purpose, ultimately to be the lamb and the lion kind of thing. And the English, uh, Christos is Greek, and then you transliterate that into English. Christ means Messiah, uh, the Savior, we'd say. And he brought him to Jesus. He literally brought him. You know, he said, hey, I know where his camp is, right? Uh, and Jesus looked at him with a big smile on his face. Now, again, I could be wrong. But it happens so seldom, I wouldn't assume that. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, you, we can ask Peter in heaven. I, I, you know, when Peter, Peter, when Jesus, we first met him after your brother brought him to him and he gave you a nickname, was he smiling? Well, yeah, he was, we both were smiling. It was just, it's fun. You know, it was just a lot of fun to be around. You know? uh, Stephanie, Bo's wife, says she doesn't remember this, but I remember right after they built the super Walmart, wasn't that like uh, right after the earth's crust hardened, uh, you know, we didn't always have a super Walmart kids in Duncan. You realize that? But I remember, she's a little girl. And we walked in to Walmart, super Walmart for the first time, Debbie and I. And Stephanie's standing there. And her mom and everybody else is down the center aisle there. But she's just looking around, beaming and smiling. And I said, smart question, you know. Uh, Stephanie, what do you think of the new Walmart? And she went, it's like she wanted to describe it. But she didn't have the words. And she just kind of closed her eyes and said, just vibrate and said, it's fun. That's what she said. And, you know, you know, I would never use that term to describe Walmart. But see, people are different. They perceive things differently. And so hearing doesn't necessarily mean listening to sounds. Right? Um, anyway, where were we? Yeah, okay. So I really think the Lord's smiling here, but he's making a point, and he's showing that he knows all about this guy. So Andrew brings uh, Simon. Simon is a word that means listener. Or hearer in Aramaic. So he goes, your name is listener? They, they, listen, Simon Stan, he enters every room mouth first. Have you had people like that in your life? They just never stop talking. And they, they'll never sneak up on anybody because you can hear them a mile away coming, you know? And uh, that can be good or bad, right? But, uh, sometimes we just need, especially preachers need to be a little less, uh, verbose, you know, as I go into my second hour of this message. But uh, uh, yeah, so he brings his brother, Simon, listener to Jesus, and Jesus says, and that's singular you in the Greek, that's y'all, not all y'all, which is plural, he says, you are Simon, you're, you're listener, son of John, we're not going to call you listener, because we both know you shoot first and ask questions later, we're going to call you Rocky. We're going to call you Rocky because you're rough around the edges. But I, I can work with that. I can work with you, you know, uh, which is translated Peter. Now, let's go to the fourth day. How do I know it's the fourth day, Dustin? Because it says in verse 43, the next day. We had two days, third day, now we're the next day. It was four days in a row. So it's pretty cool when you realize that in the life of Christ. Yet again, we're down here uh by the uh, entrance of the Jordan River in the uh, Dead Sea. So we're close to Jerusalem. But uh, John the Baptist, as far as we know, he must have gone to the temple at least three times a year. But he, he avoided 
all of the nonsense going on in institutional Judaism. And you, you know, we've got what the uh, 1042 right on time. It's great. Uh, that's what that is. Okay, I look. I love maps, right? Let's keep going on the fourth day here. The next day, the fourth day, Jesus is getting ready to go back to Galilee. Uh, because he's been down there for the, his baptism, for his temptations. Now he's touching base with John before he goes back home and starts his ministry in earnest up there, as the synoptics emphasize. And he found Philip. Philip's another of John the Baptist's uh, disciples looking for the Messiah. And now John has said he's, he's not just on the ground. He's here amongst us. And that's the Lamb of God we've been talking about. And Jesus said, follow me. Meaning, let's, let's, talk, let's walk and talk in that case. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, uh, the city of Andrew and Peter. They were all born in that fishing village a couple of miles from Capernaum. Although at this point, uh, both Peter and Andrew, James and John are all fishermen in Capernaum. Uh, one thing we'll get to see in, in uh, Galilee when we go to Israel is what's called the Jesus Boat in 1986 during a drought as the water proceeded from the Lake Sea of Galilee, the edges of, a, of an old boat uh, became apparent, and it turned out, and they had, it took a lot of engineering to get that thing, that hull, out without it destroying itself, uh, super saturated with water for 2,000 years. It carbon dates first century. It's a fishing boat like the one Peter, James, and John would have used. It's not necessarily their fishing boat, but we'll see that. We're talking about real places, real people, real events here, folks. But uh, they're they're from Galilee, so they're just taking their time off uh, to interact with John, and now they've hit the jackpot because Messiah's from Galilee, and they're going to follow him all the way back up there because we're going to see them at the wedding next week, by the way. Uh, G, great guest at the wedding feast. Now watch this. Philip, kind of like Andrew, after interacting with Jesus and seeing what's believing, finds Nathaniel, better known as Bartholomew, uh, elsewhere, uh, and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets, the whole Tanakh, the whole Old Testament, wrote about the Messiah, you know, and he's specifically Jesus of Nazareth, the legal son of Joseph, but we all know he's not just a physical uh, person, not just a human being, he's the God-man, one person, two natures. And Nathaniel said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? One of the presuppositions of textual, uh, kind of liberal critical scholars today is, everybody living in the Bible is so dumb, they're so gullible, they just would, you know, they believed anything, so... These, these guys could pretend to do miracles and everybody was just so dumb and so gullible. Like Mary, when she found out she was going to conceive, you know, supernaturally, she just believed it and had no problems with it, right? She had problems. She believed it. But she had problems. She just, she knew Joseph would have no problem with it, right? Now she was freaking out over that. And here, you know, Nathaniel is here, Bartholomew is here to hear what John the Baptist has to say and he's looking for the Messiah. But when Philip says the Messiah is from Nazareth, that doesn't fit his theology. Because he th- he's thinking the Messiah's got to be from Bethlehem. But is that what Micah said? Did Micah say the Messiah would be uh, born and raised <laughs> in Nazareth? just says he'd be born there. And it turns out he actually has been uh, a carpenter now, a tecton for 18 years in Nazareth. But Nazareth was kind of from the opposite side of the, of the tracks. There tended to be a sense that all the smart people lived uh, on the east coast or the west coast, and everybody else was flyover country, right? That's kind of the way the elites think in our country right now, if you haven't noticed. But yeah, uh, that's Judea, the region, and, and all the great religious wisdom comes from, uh, you know, the institutional bureaucracy in Jerusalem. Beware of large bureaucracies, religious or political or any other way. 
Uh, and yet you're saying this Messiah is from Nazareth. I thought he was supposed to be from Bethlehem. It didn't say that. It said he would be born in Bethlehem, and he was. But he's been up here in a more obscure, humble area. And uh, Nazareth was a small town about the size of Bethlehem. They estimate anywhere from 150 to 250, and exactly how they know that, I'm not sure, but it's very small. Uh, there is a city two miles north of Nazareth called Sepphoris, and we've seen a lot of the pictures from the last Israel trip of some of the stuff in Sepphoris, uh, which was a Roman showcase of Roman culture for the Galileans, for the seed pickers in Galilee. But there's also a Roman army base connected with that, and not that all army bases are bad places, but anytime you get on a border between Mexico or America or civilians and uh, soldiers, you tend to get the seedier sides of both trying to rip each other off. So you've got a Roman army base very close to here, and nothing important had happened in the Old Testament in Nazareth to speak of. So, you know, Nathaniel, Bartholomew, he just didn't buying it. He's saying, you must be mistaken there. You know, Philip was one of these guys that probably got excited about everything, and so Nathaniel's saying, you know, calm down, boy. Uh, he needs to be from the south. He needs to be in, in Bethlehem probably, right? So uh, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, what? Well, let me give you 18 reasons why. He says, come and see. I want you to look at him. I want you to talk to him. Okay? We get excited about all these techniques to do evangelism. we got to lead people with Jesus. Let's lead people, however you witness, whatever verses you want. Pick something from Scripture that emphasizes who Jesus is and what he did. And if they don't remember your four Roman steps of the Roman road or your evangel cube, and I you know, use all that stuff. Leave him with Jesus, and that, that was brilliant. He just says, hey, come, check him out. That's what he's saying. He, he's basically, come and see means check him out, right? Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him and said, you are a straight shooter. You, you, you say what you mean, mean what you say. That's what that means. Behold, in Israel, in light indeed, whom there's no deceit. deceit. You know the difference between uh, gossip and flattery? Gossip is when I say things that are bad about you to somebody else I'd never say to your face. Flattery is when I say nice things to you and about you. I never say to anybody else because I don't believe them, right? And Jesus saying, you you just flat say what you mean and mean what you say. He's describing the guy's basic character. And you kind of see that when uh, you know, Philip says, hey, we found the Messiah. He's from Nazareth. He's saying, I don't read anything in the Old Testament about Nazareth and the Messiah. You, you got to be wrong. And so Jesus nails it. And look at this. Uh, Jesus, when, when the spirit regenerates, all fight goes away, you know, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Nathaniel said, and that's all it took for Jesus to say, hey, you mean what you say and say what you mean, don't you? You're a straight shooter. And he says, how do you know me? How do you know my central character? And he says, hey, before Philip called you this morning, you know, when you're under the fig tree, Jews tried to meditate under fig trees. You know, personally, this time of year, I try to meditate in air conditioned buildings. But that's just me. Okay. Uh, and he may have been meditating on, we can ask him, Genesis 28, because you have that famous Jacob's Ladder passage where Jacob sees this vision of angels going up and uh, to and from heaven on a, a ladder. I hate to tell you this, King James says ladder. Uh, we did a two-week word study at Dallas Seminary on that. It means a ramp. It's a ramp. Jacob's Ladder is a ramp. But watch this. It's almost like Jesus is tying his ascension into that uh, I saw you under the fig tree meditating on Genesis 28. And Nathaniel said, hey, you are the son of God, right? You are the king of Israel. You are the son of man. You are the lamb of God. And Jesus said, because I, because I knew that, that's easy for me. Because I said to you, I saw you knew what you're doing under the fig tree this morning. You're going to see a lot better than that, brother, you know. Uh, 
going to be great. And he said, truly, I'm going to say to you, you can take this to the bank, you're going to see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Notice, Anthony, even though the Gospel of John, more than any other Gospel, emphasizes the deity of Christ, that he's fully God, here you've got Jesus using the term Son of Man for himself, which doesn't deny his deity, but emphasizes the prophecy in Daniel 7 about the Messiah. But we've seen Son of Man is aspire, uh, attributed to him, Son of God, Lamb of God, they're all true. And Jesus is referring to something in the future where they will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on Jesus. Um, you know, we don't know what that means. There's two possibilities. Number one, the ascension. That's the one I hold. You know, you've got the death of Christ. Three days later, the resurrection. Forty days later, the ascension. And the apostles see him going straight up. And the Acts passage doesn't mention angels, but they tend to show up at things like that. So it's very possible though it's thinking about the ascension, which is the exclamation point at the end of his earthly ministry. He also may be thinking about um, aspects of the second advent, where the lamb comes back as a lion. One of those two, but I don't think he's using that description randomly. He's trying to connect that to what uh, Nathaniel was meditating on that day, and you can ask him later uh, in heaven, but I think he's probably meditating on Jacob's ramp. So you learn stuff when you come to church. It wasn't a ladder. Now notice this, if we go on our map here, we're, we're baptizing there, just north of the uh, outlet of the Dead Sea. But Jesus is intending to go to Cana, or to Galilee, it says, right, uh, at the beginning of that, uh, verse 43. The next day, the fourth day of the sequence, he's getting ready to go back to Galilee, and we'll pick up the story there next time. But let's just, uh, boom, should have hit that sooner. Uh, let's just say, what is this passage telling us? It's telling us a lot, okay? It's not just telling us about the first five disciples. Now, you know, we said you could learn that with just little Bangladesh thing. No, Japan, I mean, right? Now, there is a fudge factor, okay, Lloyd, because Lloyd analyzes everything. You know, uh, when I throw that out there, Japan, let's remember these things, Sydney, and, they, and that's cool. And they go, okay, John, Andrew, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel. But they forget that uh, specific thing. And later, I've had people literally, like, send me emails what does the A stand for? What does the second A stand for? It stands for and, you know. So I got a fudge factor. I got two P's. So, but Japan only has one P. So it's John, Andrew, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel. But you're seeing at this point, Jesus affirming all this great stuff. He's going to be the Lamb of God. He's going to ascend after his crucifixion and or as a reference second advent. He's going to as the victorious lion figure, the, not the suffering a servant, but the uh, majestic sovereign. And he gets all these details. And yeah, he was born in Bethlehem, but the fact he was called a Nazarene uh, is referred to by Matthew as a fact that he took a humble position. He didn't go to the, live in the fanciest city or the fanciest place or attempt to compete with the uh, liberal critical scholars of his day. He just kind of did his thing and then came right on cue. So take this to heart. In addition to all the good stuff of just knowing this for your Bible reading, I'd say two things I want you to think about. Number one, Christ and Christianity are open to and triumph in the face of honest investigation. I mean, Andrew brings him to Jesus and just tell him about it. Then just open a track from Campus Crusade and say, you don't need to go see him. I want you to see him, right? And uh, Philip brings Nathaniel. He sees him. Just, just see him. Just talk to him. Now, we can't physically bring Jesus around with us, but he's within us. And he refers to, reveals himself to Scripture, right? And I think this is important. There have been, the woods are full of examples of this, but one of the more recent ones, uh, 
high profile. In addition to the guy who uh, wrote the book in the DVD series, uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, this was a, a Muslim raised in a very observant, uh, strict Muslim home who wanted to become a more uh, dedicated Muslim. And he had some college friends who were Christians. And he does some research to kind of try to debunk Christianity and becomes a Christian. But I'm thinking like Josh McDowell, who's he's almost as old, he's probably older than I am, uh, but wrote a lot of apologetics book. He was a skeptical guy in college, was trying to debunk Christianity, and became one. So I think it's very important that you know our faith, as opposed to say Hinduism or Buddhism, which are more philosophies, they're not historic faiths. They're not built. Uh, on historic events as much as the thought of certain teachers. And our, that's all subjective, okay? When we, why in the world would we go to, want to go to Israel, okay? Uh, number one, it's a lot safer than being in Chicago. You take it to the bank, number two. So I'm not, I don't have enough faith to take you guys to Chicago for ten days, but Jerusalem, that's, Israel, that's easy. Because our faith is rooted on real places and real people and real events and I think that's very important, and don't forget that. It's a, it's a big distinction between Christianity and especially the Eastern, all the Eastern religions. Secondly, and I'll conclude with, conclude with this one, is uh, Christianity is about Christ, not Christians. Now, I know that some of us, including I've said and done stuff, and it kind of you know, makes it hard for other people to hear my testimony or hear other people's testimonies, and you hate that when you do something like that. I think it's been a while since I've done that. Anybody's called me on it, but I've, I've certainly done it before. I've come across as smart aleck or rude or something. Uh, you know, when I am dragged to Walmart, I'm, I'm not always able to convince myself how to have Christian joy in Walmart. So I'm not always that happy waiting in line. It's not just, they move the stuff around. The three things I want are never the same place. Okay. This is my life. Okay. Uh, it takes me forever to find it. And then you got a line for 25 minutes. That's the self-serve line. The other one's moving slow because they got lightning on the cash register that day, and they got 85 empty cash registers. Yeah, but uh, so I'm not excusing myself or you if you've said things or done things that hurt your testimony because it's important for us to live consistently. But Christ ultimately is ultimately is not about how glib your pastor is or how many evangelistic seminars you've been to, so you got all the answers. It's about Christ. Christianity is about Christ, not Billy Graham or the Apostle Paul. And certainly not Brad McCoy or even James Mitchell, right? Who he is, what he has done, what he will do. So whatever else you do when you witness, when you're trying to witness to somebody at whatever level, and evangelism is not a point act. It's a process. It's like a long driving football, Dustin, that you're so familiar with, and you grind that thing down for 95 yards, then you bring a fresh set of legs in, you hand off, he jumps over the pile, he scores the touchdown, he gets the stat. There's all those offensive linemen, you know, for 18 plays that made it happen. God's using all kinds of things to regenerate depraved people like us, you know? And the, the person actually says the words and with the Spirit works and then boom, the person comes to faith. That's great. And we rejoice in that. I mean, I, I saw that in my office with David Bearden. But, you know, Sharon had been working with him for years, right? So I think she did all the blocking. I got to jump over the goal line, you know, kind of thing. Uh, so don't be dismayed if you don't always see, uh, you know, uh, spontaneous conversions all around you because you're doing evangelism all day long. But whatever you else you do, especially for, I take I do this with Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. When they come to my house, the Jehovah's Witnesses have been trained on one article in their magazine that week, and that's what they want to talk to you about. They've really studied it closely. Uh, it's my porch. I'm, I'm going to talk what I want to talk about. I'm going to talk about John three sixteen or Second Corinthians five twenty one. When it's not going to hear, he made him a new no sin to be a sin offering for us. 
leave them with scripture about Jesus and better yet, scripture about the gospel Jesus gave. And I never let those people leave without saying, well, here's another thing Jesus said. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. Is that any good? That's John 6.40, okay? And if that's, if that's all they've got, they got everything. You know, if you're just trying to respond, rebut their arguments, uh, that's not going to help, man. I think you've got to believe that seeing can be believing, and so expose people to what Scripture says about Jesus. And I just love some of the things he says. And John 3.16 is a quote from Jesus, too, in all possibilities. It's possible 16-18 is an editorial comment by John. But that's what you want to do. Okay. So please remember, as we close in prayer, we're going to have the Super Summer Program here in a minute. And then uh, go from there. And so next week, what letter will we be be on? Did you make a G? Okay, yeah. He's, we got the entire alphabet over there if you want it. Okay. Okay. Uh, Dale, pray, let's pray for the Super Summer program as we dismiss uh, teaching time.